Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. If you were to stop in that moment and think, do I want a drink or not? If you can't stop yourself from having a drink in that moment of stress, then I would say that there potentially is a problem there. Welcome to Honesty Box, where we find the answers to the questions you thought were off limits. Hi, hello, and welcome to Honesty Box at the Balance Club with me, Alex Beard. Here we ask the questions that you want the answers to. No judgment and no topic is off limits. Don't forget, you can submit your own question anonymously at www.thebalance.club. Just click on the podcast option and a question box will pop up for you. Each week here on Honesty Box, we'll take one of your questions and pose it to an expert. We'll have a frank and open conversation about it. Sometimes it'll be serious, sometimes funny. Sometimes it might be a little bit sweary, but hopefully you'll come away with some helpful information. Either way, I hope you feel like you've heard a truthful discussion on a topic that might not have been that easy to discuss with people in your life before. This week, I'm very excited to be talking to Dr Rada. She's a practising NHS GP, a broadcaster and a campaigner for wellbeing. Rada is the medical expert for BBC Radio 1's daytime show Life Hacks and co-presents the weekly Life Hacks podcast. She's been the resident GP for TV shows like Live with Gabby on Channel 5 and Newsround on CBBC and has reported on ITV's This Morning, BBC Breakfast, ITV Tonight and ITN News. She's also contributed to numerous magazines and books. So thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Rada. Honestly, it is such a pleasure to be here. Thanks, Alex. Your, and your, your voice and all the kind of energy behind your voice just making me feel really happy, really inspired. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> um, now, the question from, that we have pulled from the Honesty Box today is, what does a functioning alcoholic look like? So what does that question mean to you when I ask you as a GP, as a working GP? So a couple of things, actually, in that one statement. So the word functioning... What does that actually mean? Um, because the words functioning and alcoholic put together or in close proximity to each other makes me wonder about that statement. So um, the word alcoholic, obviously that means someone who's dependent on alcohol or someone who has a reliance on alcohol. And so although our general society, you know, us as a society think about the word functioning as meaning someone who's actually doing all they need to do in the world if you have got some element of alcohol dependency or you're reliant on alcohol then actually I question whether or not that is true functioning in the way that we mean it so almost in a way those two words next to each other make me really question what we mean by the word functioning. So that's not considered to be a recognisable term or a kind of a segment of alcoholism is is this more of a what's the word I'm looking for? Is this something that people say in society but isn't really recognised in the medical world? Yeah, so it's interesting actually because people do use that term and it is a term which we we use in the medical world to basically almost, uh, it's not a sort of subset of people who are dependent on alcohol, but it's a subset of people who perhaps are finding it more difficult or the people around them are finding it more difficult to actually underpick and underpin 
the fact they have an issue with alcohol. So this raises the whole kind of chat around stereotypes of what alcohol dependency is, you know, what does an alcoholic look like? And typically in our world, those kind of images are, you know, someone who has lost their job, uh, they're not getting up in the morning, um, they they often classically are depicted in the media as being kind of old men, you know, who are looking really haggard and bedraggled. Um, and actually we've grown up with those stereotypes, those images in our mind of what um, an alcoholic or an alcohol dependent person looks like. And actually a functioning alcoholic is actually truer than that depiction. So there are so many more people in this world, in our society, who actually are alcohol dependent, but because they don't fit into that image that we have learned about, we don't recognise them as being alcohol dependent. And that in itself is a huge problem, which is why I'm so pleased that from your honesty box, this was actually raised, because it's picking apart and dismantling stereotypes, and actually that will help all of us recognise maybe the people around us or even ourselves as to when we might actually have a problem with alcohol and when we actually might be functioning on a superficial level according to society, but actually not functioning at all in terms of our mental health or our physical health. So if we take it to be, in this example, I'm getting up, I'm getting myself to work and or taking kids to school, I'm holding down a job, you know, the house is kept, everyone around me seems happy, but... I need alcohol for me to do that. Is that problematic? Yes, 100%. Exactly right. So, you know, when we say the word functioning in normal everyday conversation, we mean all those things, don't we? We're like, oh, well, you know, we're ticking the boxes. You're doing this, you're doing that. You haven't lost your job. You, you haven't kind of um, left your children to fend for themselves for breakfast. Um, you're getting yourself up and washed and dressed. You look okay. To the outside world, you are fulfilling all your roles and your function in terms of what you should be doing. But actually, the fact that you need alcohol to either get up in the morning, to get through those things, to do those things, and to actually have that kind of balance of being able to function, that definitely means that there is an issue and there is an issue with alcohol. So it's um, it's often harder for people around that person, for the person themselves, and also more generally, actually, for the whole topic of conversation to come up when someone is actually a functioning alcoholic because it's not overt, it's not obvious, it, there isn't a kind of like a gateway in to say to that person, listen, I think you might have a problem with drinking, because they'll just turn around and say, well, why do you say that? I'm doing this, I'm doing that, and all the rest of it. And often to the outside world, so for example, maybe people in their workplace, their office, their friends, because they only see that side of that person who is functioning, um, and it's only the people at home or the people closest to them who are raising the issue, there also then ties in that opportunity for the person who has got a problem with the alcohol. When they're faced with someone saying, listen, you've got a problem for them to say, well, it's you, it's only you who says that, therefore it must be that you're wrong, actually, rather than I have actually got a problem because the other people around them are not seeing that other side to them. It must be people listening to this now in this global pandemic might go, do you know what? For the last six months, I have needed a bit more booze than I had the previous year. This is a tough time. A lot of people use alcohol as a way to unwind, as a way to take the stress away a little bit, possibly. How much does context play in this? If there are people listening to this thinking, well, yeah, this sounds a bit like me, but, you know, let's look at what's going on at the moment. What, what, what do you think to that? 
Mm, really good question. And the same thing comes up around a lot of things this year, doesn't it? So when we're talking about sort of feeling low or feeling anxious, you know, most of the time we say, well, actually, there's a global pandemic. So anxiety is totally appropriate. And actually, that's totally normal. And I guess what I would say is it's, you know, this year, it, most of us, some of us, um, all of us, <laughs> or even a few of us have kind of had a drink when we've been feeling quite stressed. But that and that is a kind of coping strategy or a strategy we're using to cope short term with with anxiety and, and, and feeling quite stressed. But the issue comes when you're not able to control that urge to drink, um, when you start drinking more, when you're starting to drink at a frequency related to your stress that, that actually is really unhealthy and is actually stopping you from doing what you want to do. So I think it's very much around, yes, there might be the odd occasion when you do that, but how much of your time is spent doing that? Is that the only coping strategy you have? And is it getting out of control where actually you can't, if, if you were to stop in that moment and think, do I want a drink or not? If you can't stop yourself from having a drink in that moment of stress, then I would say that there potentially is a problem there. So is that the test you do on yourself? Is it the sort of pour yourself, you know, are you about to pour yourself a glass of wine? Could you not? Is that the test for... It's, it's, one of, it's one of the tests. So, for example, um, yeah, can you actually control your drinking? If you didn't want to drink, could you not drink? Um, have you lost control of your drinking, basically, is the answer to that. Um, do you need drinking to fulfil your different roles or different activities in your day, including socialising, for example? Um, when are you drinking in terms of the time of the day? Are you drinking in the mornings? Are you drinking at night? Are you drinking alone? Are you hiding alcohol? Um, are you hiding your spending habits around purchasing alcohol from other people? Um, and how do you react if someone around you says to you, you know, I think you might have a problem with drinking. Do you get angry and defensive? Or are you able to sit back and listen to what that person's saying? They're just a few of the markers of, of alcohol dependency and when you might have an issue with alcohol. Besides a global pandemic, I think there's a lot of people in the adult world, parents and just adults going about their life who a glass of wine of an evening is the marker of downtime this is relaxed time and you know it's not beyond the realms of possibility that you pop open a bottle of wine and you're drinking a bottle of wine between the two of you or maybe you know you're just pouring glasses without really thinking you're watching telly and before you know it you're clearing away an empty bottle is before you go off to bed it's not purposeful necessarily but it is just part of a habit what is the difference between habit and addiction? Mm, that is a great question. So, so a habit is something that you're right, we do. So our, when we develop a habit, our brains kind of rewire themselves. They get rewired to kind of almost um, carry out that activity without any conscious thought. It becomes automatic. Um, but with a habit, we can stop, reflect, be aware, and we are able to make a choice and step out of that automatic behaviour with an addiction, you, you, that's totally different. So you're not able to step out from that. You're not able to stop and say, listen, I want to do something different. And that's because you get those changes in your brain. The brain rewires so that you end up having tolerance to a particular substance. For example, with, with alcohol, you, you're going to need to drink more to have the same effects. And you get dependence where you're not able to stop and control your drinking. So they're the two main differences. And we know that there are lots of chemical changes associated with addiction that obviously make it very, very difficult. Absolutely not impossible because lots and lots of people have done it, but very difficult to step out of it without support, and without help. So if we take that example of drinking a bottle of wine on an evening, 
and and we say that it's habit it's not addiction is it a bad habit it's a habit that's quite recognized it's quite sociably acceptable as a GP what are your thoughts on that so again, I mean, looking at the kind of guidance, so al- so alcohol is not without risk, any level of alcohol. So in terms of the NHS guidelines, it's 14 units a week, not to drink more than that per week regularly. Now that is, that's not saying that that is without risk, that's just a lower level of risk. And definitely within that, again, it's not just the absolute number of units of alcohol, it's also about spreading those out evenly, um, having alcohol-free days, for example, and also about the pattern of your drinking. So how you know your coping strategies and when you're actually drinking that alcohol as well. Because again, we tend to sometimes think of just the absolute number of units. What we actually need to think about is um, why are you drinking and when? And there are obviously other patterns like binge drinking, for example, which is just as harmful and just as much a sign of an, of an issue or a problem. Um, but we know that even you know, with that level, you know, you are at risk of all kinds of health problems long term, liver disease, certain type, increased risk of certain types of cancers, for example. But aside from the actual physical health problems, obviously, there's the mental health issues. So, you know, we know that after drinking the day after people will feel very anxious. We know that people get quite depressed with alcohol. We also know that acutely there are other kind of risks to ourselves as well. So breakdown of relationships, accidents, you know, um, blacking out and not remembering anything, all those kind of acute things that we know are, are, are difficult for us. So, you know, I would say to anyone, it's really helpful just to sit back and think, how much have I drunk? You know, how many how many bottles of wine or cans of beer are you putting in the recycling every week you know that I think that's a really good way of actually stopping and just taking initial pause and saying how much have I drunk this week when have I drunk why did I drink and how do I feel at the moment mentally and physically and I think it's a really good question or a really good starting point for everyone to think about when we go to the doctors for a number of reasons and they go oh do you smoke do you exercise how many units do you drink a week And we all do a rough calculation in our head. And famously, we all round down. As a doctor, we always think it's because you're going to round up for us. We definitely don't round up (laughs) as doctors. But we are aware, and and this is the same, again, with smoking. And it's the same with any any kind of um, lifestyle choice we're making where we feel we might be judged, I think. So that goes alongside our eating habits, smoking, drinking, anything where we think we're going to be judged, we tend to as individuals, and we're we're all human, we don't want to kind of be judged, we don't want to feel that way, so we tend to round down. But as doctors, we are aware that people do tend to round down and tend to um, underestimate rather than actually necessarily go with the actual true amount. So, So it's really helpful as a doctor, and we're always kind of trained to do this, to really ask quite specific questions, um, not in a probing way, but just questions that aren't just sort of like, oh, you know, do you drink? And someone says yes, and we leave it at that. It's then like, well, okay, well, you know, what do you drink? You know, how much do you think you drink? You know, per week. Um, you know, we we start to try and actually, you know, what do you what are the actual alcoholic drinks that you do drink? Because obviously, different strengths of different alcoholic drinks have um, different numbers of units in them. So sometimes. You know, people who might be thinking they're not drinking that much, actually, when you look at precisely what they're drinking, it's actually quite a lot. So it's about looking at that number, but then also being inquisitive and curious around that. And and also, more importantly than that, never, ever 
you know, as a doctor, never ever being judgmental, never ever, you know, even conveying that in tone of voice or language or anything like that, because, you know, in order for us to work with people, we we want to make sure that people feel comfortable with that. And I think it's really helpful, again, for people to hear that if they're worried about being judged or they're worried about what their doctor might say, please don't be, because that's going to be another barrier to actually getting help. Do you think denial plays a part in it then? Because you know, like you said right at the beginning of this interview, there is an image that's portrayed in the media that an alcoholic looks a certain way, behaves a certain way. And I think a, a lot of people might go, well, I, I don't wake up in the morning and down a pint of vodka, but I do like to have the drinks in the evening. So therefore, I am not an alcoholic. How dangerous is denial? And how much should we really be looking at ourselves? How, you know, how deeply and honestly should we all be examining how much we drink? I think we should all be doing that because, and you know, again, you know, in my life, I, obviously I've been a student, I've been at medical school. I mean, medical students are probably the worst renowned people for, for drinking. And, you know, sometimes you sit back and you go, okay, well, you know, why did I go out and kind of binge drink last night? Or why did I do this? Or why did I do that? You know, even as a medical student. So I think it's helpful for every single one of us. And obviously, um, you know, it's it's not no profession, no job, no person is immune from the impact or actually the risk of becoming alcohol dependent I think that's really important to say and actually it's often very stressful jobs where people are at more risk or most risk from that um, and that can go across all all kind of avenues of society and I think that's also another trap where for example in certain um, industries I know that one of my friend's uh, parents used to work in the advertising industry in the 70s and 80s and that was he was talking about how it was renowned how it was just totally acceptable to drink at lunch drink heavily at lunch keep on drinking with clients you know in the media world that's another place um I also know quite you know, stressed out professions where people are actually kind of it's almost seen as the done thing to do when they go out and socialize and within again different sectors of society just because someone has got an expensive bottle of brandy or you know or champagne as opposed to you know extra strength lager you know from the off license that doesn't mean there's any difference between um between those two if they if they're becoming reliant on alcohol so i think it's really important to almost kind of blow open the face of what we think you know someone who's alcohol dependent is because it can be anybody and i think if we can just stop and look back and think around not just us, but the people in our lives, what's happening with them? Are they making jokes and being defensive about drinking? You know, are they always kind of going out and socialising so much, but they can't actually be without alcohol around them? Do they not want to go to a party? Not that we're allowed to at the moment, but <laughs> do they not want to go to a party because there's no, no alcohol there? You know, it can be a simple, a simple sign like that that can really just trigger us to realise that. There was another question in the honesty box, which kind of fits in with that, which was that, somebody in their circle they think has a problem with alcohol what are you looking out for and what do you do with that Mm. so I think you're looking out I mean on one level you're looking out for people not being able to sort of function as normally or, or do the things they want to do but you're also looking out for obviously frequency of drinking hiding alcohol being defensive um not wanting to cut back not being able to cut back if they do start to drink, they can't actually stop after one or two drinks. They just have to keep going, for example, time of day. Um, and, and also, you know, listening to the people who are closest to them, because I think the environments where it's going to show up the most is going to be in the home environment 
and it's going to be with the people who are closest to them who are going to start to notice. So you know, working with those people in that person's life is also really helpful. So there's some of the some of the signs. Approaching it is is always going to be tricky, but I would say to anybody, not just because it's going to be tricky, that doesn't mean that we should go into denial ourselves as well and that we should avoid it. Because actually, it's sort of general life advice, but if there are things that we want to avoid, that generally means that we ha- we should be tackling them <laughs> as a sort of general, general life advice. So, you know, s- sit back, work out, you know, why, why do you actually think this might be an issue for that person? What's not the evidence, but what is it that, that has made you think this? Educate yourself, you know, look up from some great sources on the internet around what alcohol dependency looks like. Does that tie in with what you've noticed about that person, first of all? There's lots of advice on the internet about that. And then first thing to say is, sounds pretty obvious, but try to approach that person when they have not been drinking. Because obviously when someone's drunk, they're going to potentially get more aggressive, more emotional, they're not going to listen to you. So approach them when they haven't been drinking. Uh, People can often pick up on judgment, whether or not, even if it's not in your language, they'll pick up on it in your tone of voice, in your body language. So really important to use neutral statements to that person. So instead of saying... I think you're an alcoholic or you've got a problem with drinking. Those statements are loaded with stigma, judgment, aggression. And all that's going to do is get that person's back up and they're going to get defensive and they're not going to engage and open up to you. So instead, work with neutral statements. I think it's really helpful to start off with um, a short statement like, I care about you or I love you. I've been noticing that, you know, you've been struggling lately and you've been drinking more than normal. And I just want to check you're okay. So that basically conveys with it that sentiment and that intention, which is why you're initiating the conversation, is that you care about them. And that's really important for that person to hear rather than the judgment, first of all. Really important to recognise that it's difficult for people to open up about drinking and about drinking habits. So it may not be the, you know, that it's only one conversation you need to have. It may be just a couple of comments and conversations sequentially that you build up and you build their trust with. Um, and just have compassion as well. So you know, people turn to alcohol generally when they are stressed, anxious, their mental health is is going through some difficulties. They may have had a life event or many life events and changes in life, which is causing them to feel quite lost and quite ungrounded. And also, you know, we know that sometimes um, if, if someone has had someone in their family who's had a um, alcohol dependency that can also then sometimes run in families in terms of that person is more likely to turn to alcohol so coming from a place of compassion and thinking why are they drinking what is it underlying that because when people drink too much they do get aggressive they do get um, quite difficult emotionally and quite reactive so just taking a step back and coming f- coming at it from a place of compassion I think is really helpful what if in that scenario the person that you have gone to with that very open and non-judgmental way just says yeah I have been it's not a problem I'm fine and sort of shuts it down like that what's left for you Hmm. so a lot of the time in that first initial conversation they may come back with either excuses or promises um so again good to understand that before you actually approach that conversation so if they if they say listen I'm fine it's not a problem don't worry then I think it's helpful to to stop and say okay but what I'm concerned about is for example 
you know, your job, you've been working long hours at your job, has that made you stressed? Or um, I know you've been a bit worried about money, um, you know, how, how is that, how are you feeling about that? So trying to think about what might be a trigger and draw it back with a question about the trigger and about how they're doing rather than necessarily continuing along the alcohol um, on its own kind of route. So going to the source rather than how it's manifesting in someone. Exactly, exactly. And, and also I think it's really helpful as well, you know, if if we, we've all got coping strategies which are not that healthy for us or perhaps ones that we could absolutely drop. And I think, again, although they are different strategies, if you feel comfortable opening up about things that you've been you've done yourself in the past to cope that haven't necessarily been great for you, because I think, again, it's that whole thing about that person not feeling like they're on their own. It's not like you're saying, you've got a bad coping strategy, I'm judging you. It's about saying, do you know what? A few years ago, I found it quite difficult at this time and I actually realised I was drinking more or my eating habits really changed and then I realised I wasn't doing myself any favours because I was stressed out. So just having that, that person feel like it's not only them, there's a reason for why they might be drinking and that you you can understand or at least try to understand the reason for that and that you're there to support them in terms of getting help with that because you care about them. Sort of circling back a little bit, the kind of normalising of drinking as a way of relaxing and it very much, I don't know if it's an, you know, a cultural thing, but you know, that it's really synonymous with, you know, put your feet up, have a glass, have a bottle. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Should we be cutting ourselves a bit of slack at the moment with that? Or is this not a time to be turning a blind eye? So I think it's like anything in life, really. And I know this is a really boring answer. <laughs> I'm really sorry it's boring. But a lot of the truths are actually quite simple. And, and, and that is, is that it's always a balance. OK, so um, nothing in this world is kind of absolute. Obviously, some people don't drink at all. That's, that's absolutely, yeah, absolutely right as well. But I think it's about saying, OK, sometimes I do need to, you know, I might need to have a drink on the odd occasion to help myself relax. Sometimes I might need to reach for a, to- a chocolate digestive because I'm feeling quite stressed out. Sometimes I can't always go for a run or a walk every day because I just can't do it. We know, we know when things are good for us and when they're not. And I think the this is not about absolutism at all um, because that's not real life this is uh, for, for me anyway this is about saying okay it's all about balance and it's about not getting anything in excess because when anything is in excess it's damaging for our health mental and physical and emotional as well so it's not about saying don't do it entirely it's about saying 
you as an individual, what's happening for you, how are you using alcohol, how are you feeling about it, and is it something that is actually relaxing you on the odd occasion, or is it something that is actually controlling your life and actually causing you harm? And I think that's the important distinction. I really like how you take it back to mental health and how, you know, and a dependency on alcoholism is often the way you make it sound anyway it's more telling of an underlying issue with mental health would you say there's been a switch on that though because obviously mental health is is beginning to be spoken about a lot more the conversation's a lot easier about it it's something that people are much more aware of than they were say even five years ago when dealing with people with alcohol and addiction issues are we better at looking at it as a person as a whole than it's take the bottle away we've we've dealt with the issue a hundred percent absolutely because every behavior we develop or we display and that goes into the extreme of addiction comes from our thinking patterns our feelings and our mental and emotional well-being and so actually to me when you look at a lot of a lot of problems in the world like addiction um like eating disorders like all kinds of different things we can think about relationship problems I'm not saying that they all come down to that, but a lot of them, I think, at the foundation of all of those, from that common, if you think about like a, a, a tree, the trunk of all of those is about our mental health and our emotional well-being. And when we have difficulties in life, life events like we all do, and we don't know how to process those, or we haven't had the support at the time, or we blame ourselves, or we internalise those events, um, then later on, or even at that time, it's more likely we're going to develop a coping strategy that is harmful to us rather than healthy and rather than processing it. And I and to me, I think, you know, with most people that I see with an addiction, when you trace it back, there have been some quite difficult life events. Not to say that's the absolute and only cause, but there are there are those life events in the background of that. So I, I think you're absolutely right. I think to, to look at taking away the alcohol is is secondary to actually looking at the primary and unless we look at the primary and we tackle things at their source and we support people with that we're never going to win in terms of the alcohol or whatever other coping strategy has developed from it so I, I think you're right I think we've been getting better at talking about mental health but to me we're still not we're still not there because we talk about mental health in terms of we use that word it's it's kind of thrown around everywhere it's used in very short sentences to the point where sometimes it loses its meaning. And one of my real passions is to try and translate mental health and emotional health into day-to-day tangible tips. What does it look like? What does mental health actually look like for all of us? Not just when we receive a diagnosis or we get to a crisis point. What is it for all of us that we need to remember, we need to pay attention to? And I think sometimes we do a disservice to the really important topic of mental health by making it almost meaningless and overusing it in a way where people cannot engage with that term and they almost get turned off by it because no one's really giving them the how, they're just giving them lots of words. 
just before I go, I'd love to mention a couple of places where people can go if they need support. So obviously there's your GP. Um, they can refer you to the local alcohol support services. There's also great resources in like Drinkline, um, AA. There's also stuff for people, family members and people around, people who might be struggling with alcohol. So there's um, Al-Anon and there's AdFam as well. And there's also the National Association for Children of Alcoholics. So really important that people around that person also get support. I think that's a perfect place to wrap it up because I think there's some really clear advice and information, but I also think there's something in there for everyone. I really appreciate your honesty and thank you for taking the time to join us on the podcast, Dr. Rada. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.